0: We are going to start a new series tonight. Uh, we've just finished up in 1 Peter, if you were with us last week, and we are moving on to, guess what? 2 Peter. Okay, So I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have it with you, or the words are printed in your bulletin, 2 Peter, chapter 1, just verses 1 and 2 tonight. Hear now God's Word. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. We ask that we would behold wondrous things from your law. We ask that we would hide your word in our hearts. That we might not sin against you. But We ask that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So Father, be in and among us now, by your spirit, working in and through this, the very words you've given us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you guys aren't on a long trip this weekend, but I suspect you've been on one before. A long trip, you're going somewhere for a week or two or even three, and and it's kind of nice if you're not the one who planned the trip to have a bit of an idea of what to expect, isn't it? So we're driving all the way across country. What are we going to see along the way? Who are we going to visit? What are the stops on the tour? What are the highlights? It's nice to have a little bit of a preview. Does anyone like to be surprised like that? Let's just go for three weeks and we'll figure it out when we get there. No, that's not the way most of us are. We like to know a little bit about what is going to transpire on the journeys that we undertake in life. We like a bit of an itinerary. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do with 2 Peter. We're only going to cover two verses. And we're going to give a a bit of an overview and background of the book. And then just a few highlights and ask ourselves a few key questions. Right, A preview of what's to come. Some stops along the way. Some questions will be asked later. But we want to get those in our heads now. So we understand why Peter's writing. So that as we read in our own time and meditate and pray about these scriptures. And as we're led through them by a host of people who will no doubt preach and and join us from this pulpit. uh, That we can take this journey together and enjoy these stops. Enjoy each and every week that we can in uh, this book of 2 Peter, this short little epistle. So a bit on the background first then. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of of reminder. Okay, here we are in 2 Peter, and he's saying that I wrote you a letter before, and this is now my second letter. So if this is the second, what's the first? And I'm just going to take that at face value, okay? That the first is 1 Peter. There are people out there who will make lots of other arguments. Uh, I don't want to overstate the case, there aren't many. I think most uh, people who would call themselves evangelicals, not to despise anyone who's an evangelical and doesn't hold this view, but I think most would say this is the second letter and the first one, right, turn back one page, and that's where uh, you'll find it. So it's convenient, but it's not just convenient. I think the reasons to say that this is uh, the second letter and that the first is not 1 Peter just aren't altogether sufficient. The alternatives and the theories aren't that strong. So we're just going to say this is the second letter and that 1 Peter was the first letter. Which means that first introduction has a little bit of help for us too because we don't get a whole lot here. And we introduced that uh, back in early January. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, it just starts off this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is the same Peter, and this is also the same audience. If this is the second letter and that was the first, then he's writing to the same audience again, elect exiles right? in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And as we previewed that letter about four months ago now, we, we said people, some people make a case that this was a largely Jewish audience. Uh, other people make the case that it was a largely Gentile audience. Okay? And you can find in First Peter some evidences both ways, perhaps, and there's a lot of Old Testament language in there, And a lot of kind of Hebrew phrases. Uh, But at the same time, some of the rebukes and the words about the futile ways of your fathers and the the list of sins that people were in sure doesn't really seem like a Jewish audience. So we went with probably a Gentile audience. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean there weren't any Jewish people there and could be wrong on that one. But in my reading, most people say Gentile audience, largely a Gentile audience. Now, it would be a few years later. We said that letter was written around 60, at least 60 A.D., because Paul clearly, or Peter sorry, clearly has knowledge of Ephesians right? uh, and Colossians as he's writing 1 Peter. It seems to be pretty evident, right? And those are prison epistles. So we're into the 60s uh, at a minimum. This one's a few years later. How much later, we don't know, but not beyond 68 A.D. See, in verse 14, Uh, Peter has this to say of chapter 1. Let me start in verse 13. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Okay, that's pretty clear right there. This is Peter talking and he's referencing the end of the Gospel of John when he said, when you're older, you're going to stretch out your hands. You're going to be dressed and taken to a place that you don't want to go. Okay. Uh, so Peter can feel that coming. Right? It's near. So these are my like last words here from Peter, uh, which at a human level make them more significant. But given that they're all God's words, uh, it makes these, I would say, no more significant. Um, but there's last words and he knew his time was drawing near. And church history tells us that uh, Peter was martyred under the reign of Emperor Nero, uh, and Nero took his own life in June of 68 AD. So that gives us kind of a back end. So we're mid-60s or so as he's writing, uh, certainly into the Neronian uh, persecution, uh, which largely affected uh, the first letter uh, as well. Um, Probably writing from Rome again, not direct clues in this one, but in the first one, he references Babylon, right? And we think that's a reference to Rome. Uh, church history tells us Peter was in Rome for a time and Mark was there and others who were mentioned with him. And whereas the first letter is focusing on the suffering that these Christians are undergoing and encouraging them to persevere right? in light of Christ and who he is and his second coming, this letter is looking to Christ's second coming as well. But it's not dealing as much with the suffering or the persecution. It's dealing more with false teaching. This is one of the last things that Peter sees fit to address, some of the false teaching that had crept into some of these churches. So these same people who are being persecuted, right, persecuted from without, have false teaching within. It's infiltrating their churches. So that's a little bit as to the purpose of, Of the letter, but he points them to the same place he did the first time the hope of Christ and his return. And in this letter, in particular, he'll point them again and again to Christ himself, and we'll talk about that. So, this letter is one that is very concerned, first of all, with our faith and not just faith in like a general way, but the the object of our faith that is, Christ and knowing who he is. So we start by looking, uh, as we dive into this text just a little bit more, at this uh, equally precious gift of faith from verse 1b. uh, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, Peter will say. He's writing now to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. This faith of equal standing with ours, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I do we put these on the scales and balance them? How do we figure out the, the equality of this faith? Literally, this would mean an equally precious faith. Okay? I think they're both good translations. I, I think I like both senses here. And of course, even in our own lives, we know that faith at times is stronger than at other times. And we know, right, other people's faith is no doubt stronger than ours, and other people's can be weaker. So faith can, right, exhibit itself at different ways uh, in different times and stages of our lives. So why is it so precious then in all of us if it fluctuates so very much? Well, I figured I'd I'd share with you guys as as a a church that uh, uh, believes in um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith as our subordinate standards just a little bit Uh, from chapter 14 uh, on saving faith. And that is just a wonderful chapter, as is the chapter 18, seldom known about assurance of faith and assurance of salvation. My, my, my. Wonderful chapters. Well, chapter 14 has a few things to say. I put that in the very front of your bulletin. Let's just consider what it has to say about how this faith is equally precious. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. It's first and foremost equal. It's the work of Christ in our hearts. It goes on in the next paragraph. By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself speaks therein. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. And so we receive this faith. That's another way it's equal. Uh, Each of us receive it. We don't generate it within ourselves, we receive it as a gift. And then lastly, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong. It may be often and many ways assailed. And weakened, and you may have felt that in your life for a variety of reasons. But here's the promise now. But faith gets the victory. Faith gets the victory. Another way it's equal in each and every one of us. Because of where we receive it from and how we receive it and that it gets the victory. And it goes on to say, Growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance, which leads us into that chapter 18 through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. This faith is equal because Christ begins it in us and he will finish it in us. And the divines just didn't pull this part out of thin air about faith gets the victory. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, although it's not in your additional scriptures, will say this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith. Your faith, no matter how small, like Peter and the apostles, your faith, no matter how small, like Peter and the apostles is a gift to you and it will get the victory. We don't have to be apostles. We can waver in our faith. It's just not always the same with us. But God, the object of our faith, does not change. So if you're faith and you're struggling in your faith tonight, I don't want to encourage you in that way. Now, a little bit more on how we obtain this faith. We read from Ephesians, uh, a wonderful passage in chapter 2. And Here's just a rehash of verses 8 and 9 quickly in your additional scriptures. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, our faith is equal and equally precious because it's a gift from God given to us. And what are we to do with the gifts? Well, we open it up. Right? And we put it to use. When's the last time somebody gave you a nice gift, right? Wrapped up real pretty, beautiful. It's got a bow, right? Uh, Scott has got you know wonderful wrapping, you know. they didn't even know how to wrap this stuff. It's not like guys generally wrap stuff. It's like it's like a really thoughtful person actually wrapped it, right? And they gave it to you, and you were like, Oh, thank you. That's so beautiful. And you just set it down. No. And you open it up and you put whatever is in there to good use, right? That's the sign of enjoying and appreciating a gift, putting it to use so faith is ours, we can't earn it, nor can we earn its equal standing. It's just a gift. So we open it up and we put it to use. And how do we receive that? Well, verse 1c, Peter goes on, uh, again, uh, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are saved by God's grace through Faith Faith is this gift through which God's grace flows. Faith is like the hose and the grace is the water pouring through it. And whether it's just drip, 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 or whether it's a fire hose that will knock you over, it's what's pouring through it that matters. The very grace of God. Because by faith, we receive the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's one thing that we want to keep our eyes out for as we go through this epistle. I don't know how many of you uh, do a lot of evangelism or even have a lot of people come to your door to try and do evangelism of another sort, uh, perhaps not necessarily Christians. Uh, And many will say that Jesus is not God. That he's not fully God. And where does the Bible say that? And in this short epistle alone, at least three or four times, it's pretty clear, the divinity of Christ. And we're seeing that right here by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's God. In theological speak, what we're talking about here is a, a term called Imputation. It's taking what is charged to one person's account and giving it to someone else, and vice versa. Christ is taking what we are owed, and we are receiving what he's due. It's the great exchange. It's the best exchange that any person has ever made. You know, if I had millions and millions and millions of dollars, which of course I do, because I'm a part time pastor and a teacher at a Christian school. <clears throat> And that just comes with tons of money. And you are in debt up to your ears. And I gave you my wallet and you gave me yours. No strings attached. I think you'd take me up on that. Now the reality is, most of you wouldn't want to trade wallets with me and I don't blame you. This is what God is doing with us. This great exchange, this imputation, this double imputation. It is the trade of all trades for us. Neil Huntington's never made one this good. No manager of any professional sports organization will ever make one this good. This is the best trade that has ever been made for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in your additional scriptures will put it this way. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. He takes our sin. We get His righteousness. Matthew Henry has just a, a wonderful quote here about faith, saving faith, true faith. And I really appreciated his, his commentary. He's a, a late 1600s, early 1700s, uh, six-volume guy on the entire Bible. Um, and you can get the app for free on your phone. And he's, he's just very refreshing and devotional. Um, and I would encourage him it's not over anyone's head in here he's not in Greek and Hebrew all the time it's just a really nice one to have if you want to dive a little bit more into scripture he won't lead you astray he'll have some different understandings of things than perhaps we do or, or other folks who know and love the Lord but he won't lead you far, uh, far away um, so he has this to say true faith is very excellent and of very great use to those who have it the just lives by faith It's a reference to Habakkuk 2.4, which, by the way, is referenced three times in the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, and Hebrews chapter 10 at the very end, right before the hall of faith. So the just lives by faith. He goes on, "A uh, a truly divine spiritual life. Faith procures all the necessary supports and comforts of this excellent life. Faith goes to Christ and buys the wine and milk, a reference to Isaiah 55, verse 1, which are proper nourishment of the new creature. Faith buys and brings home the tried gold, the heavenly treasure that enriches. Faith takes and puts on the white raiment, the royal robes that clothe and adorn, a reference to Revelation 3, which we'll look at in a little bit. And then he goes on to say observe, in kind of puritanical style, observe, and he lists a few points there. We'll just go through a couple. Observe, faith is alike precious in the private Christian and in the apostle. It produces the same precious effects in the one and in the other. Faith unites the weak believer to Christ as really as it does the strong one and purifies the heart of one as truly as of another. And every sincere believer is by his faith justified in the sight of God and that from all sins. A reference to Acts chapter 13 verse 39. Faith in whomsoever it exists takes hold of the same precious Savior and applies the same precious promises. This precious faith is obtained of God. Faith is the gift of God, wrought by the Spirit who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you received this gift of faith? If not, would you like to? It's pretty simple, really. It involves no more than what we looked at from Psalm 32. It involves no more than what Paul will talk about in Romans chapter 10 confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead you can be saved you too can have this faith, uh, faith, this gift of faith that God's grace might pour into your lives a few more questions for those of us who have, first of all having received this gift we should ask ourselves Having received so great a salvation, whose servants are we? Whose servant are you? It's not often you hear someone introduce yourself or introduce themselves in that way today, do you? Hi, my name is John. I, uh, I, 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 I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a store manager uh, at Giant Eagle, and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Or even flipping the order, right? I mean, here he was an apostle, yet he puts servant first. We don't hear people say that a whole lot in our day and age. It's just not the way we introduce each other. Not just because someone did wouldn't necessarily mean that they were. And just because we don't doesn't mean that we aren't. The question still stands. Whose servant are you? Do you think of yourself in this way? In light of this gift Of God's grace that you have received by faith. Do you view yourself as His servant? Are you serving Him? Peter clearly did. And he was not alone in Scripture. The psalmist says in Psalm 116, meant to be in your additional Scriptures, typo on my part, not verse 6, verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. See, it's because Christ has loosed our bonds that has set us free from our slavery to sin that we're servants to Him. It's out of gratitude. It's in response. It's not our own initiative. It comes as part of the gift We are freed from our sin to serve God. And we can't not serve something. The Apostle Paul wholeheartedly agrees with that wonderful modern day theologian, Bob Dylan. You're going to serve somebody. So if you don't consider yourself, first and foremost, a servant of Jesus, then I would ask you, what are you serving? Who are you serving? If you can't say you're serving Christ, if it's not on your list somewhere, then perhaps you are serving something else. If you are, there's good news. John chapter 12, verse, 21, or verse 26 in your additional scripture says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. But it goes on to say, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. Our service to God, flowing from God's grace, which we receive by faith, all of which is a gift God even honors us for. If that's not grace, on top of grace, I don't know what is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, we'll put it this way. And He made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever. So, servants, we are priests. We are servants in God's very household. Matthew Henry will have a, a bit of a word to say about this. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to convince you to start introducing yourself that way to other people. That's not my goal here. But maybe this should be more in the forefront of our minds. Maybe there are times for all of us we're a, a, a bit a ashamed. To say, We're to say that or scared to say that hesitant to say that and so we, we, maybe we should consider it more and certainly I think all of us should view ourselves as that probably more than we do Matthew Henry would say this to triumph in being Christ's servant is very proper for those who are engaging others to enter into or abide in the service of Christ so as those who are encouraging others to be broken free from their slavery to sin that they might serve and know the living God. Surely we should revel in our service to God. We should be overjoyed at our opportunity uh, to serve Him, though it's not easy. and We don't do it perfectly. So how closely do we identify ourselves with Christ? This one who identified Himself so closely with us, so closely that he left eternity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit to come here and take on very human flesh, to identify with ourselves, with us and our brokenness and our weakness and our shame, and to bring us to the Father as new creatures in His name. So how closely do we identify ourselves? We consider ourselves first and foremost servants of Christ by faith. Second question. Our last question related to faith. With this gift of faith, are the grace and peace of Christ multiplying in you? With this gift of faith, are the grace and peace of Christ multiplying in you? Verse 2 goes on to say very quickly, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is the same apostolic benediction, benediction you think of at the end of the service, but it's just a good word. It can come at the beginning of a letter too, and often it does. Paul uses it routinely. Peter uses it, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. But there's an addition here. There's something new. We need to see now, we need to pay attention to as we move through this letter. It's not just may grace and peace be multiplied to you, but it's in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. is really key to this short little letter. Uh, the word knowledge, the Greek word under there is a word gnosis, right? Uh, and, and, it, and it breaks its way in English in a few different ways. You can think you go to um, the, the doctor, you get a prognosis. Right? Um, you get a diagnosis. Right? So to know something about your condition or where that might lead you. Right? So it, it's not altogether foreign to us. It's in this letter many times, actually. Uh, it's in uh, our very next verse, which we'll look at next week. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. In that same passage in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, these are just a sampling. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and lastly, towards the end, chapter 3, uh, verse 18, really his last word, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's key to the letter here. Why is it key to the letter? Because Paul is Peter, is going to combat this false teaching. And how can we do that except by the truth? Our faith is in Christ, and we need to know who He is and press into Him more. There's a smattering of Scriptures here. John chapter 1, verse 16. This Christ that we need to press into, we're told, for from His fullness we have all received He's the one from whom we receive this grace. We need to know Him more. John chapter 17, verse uh, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing Christ is having eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prays. He's talking about us. Your word is truth. It's in this word. It's in this word, and as this points to the incarnate word, that we are sanctified, that is made more holy. In Revelation chapter three, verse eighteen, again that verse: I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Knowing Christ, running to Him, that we might be refined, that our clothes might be cleansed, that our nakedness might be covered, and our shame, that our eyes might be anointed. Christ is the one to whom we must go. And so Peter is going to point them to Him Again and again and again, this knowledge. But knowing Christ is not just knowing about Him. Knowing Christ is very life itself. We're not talking about knowing Christ just for the sake of knowledge. And I got to tell you, um, sometimes us reformed folks can be a little bad in that area. We just want to know more. So we get more books learn more. I've heard it said that the spiritual medicine cabinet is the bookshelf for Reformed folks. And so we need to know more. We need to know what's true versus what's false. But it's not just knowing things. I don't think faith is so much about knowing more. It's about what you do with what you know. So Peter's not going to call us just to know and learn more stuff, but he's going to call us to be transformed as we learn that stuff, as we put it into practice, as it affects our lives on a daily basis—the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, everything in between. So, God's grace and peace multiplying in you is the knowledge of Christ transforming you from one degree of glory to another are you meditating on his promises not just to learn more about him but to know him and to be known by him and to become like him that's what knowing Christ is meant to do in us so are we doing that well if you come here with us as we study this letter I challenge you now and I promise you that you will. If you study this letter and you sit under the Apostle Peter as he's combating these false teachers and pointing them to Christ, the, uh, the one who came for us, and as we see him high and lifted up, our faith is going to get stronger. We're going to know him more and be known by him. So are you ready to take this trip together through Second? Are you ready to exercise this gift of faith that you have received by coming to God's throne of grace? Uh, Jim Partridge, uh, who many of you know, will be here next week and he'll be leading us in uh, chapter uh, one, verses three through 11. So I had to use as much self-restraint as I could to not go any further. To not give too many spoiler alerts, but at the same time, let you know where we're going and tell you some things to look for in this epistle Our faith is a precious, precious gift, is it not? And it gets the victory. And in light of that, the appropriate response is is to fall down at Christ's feet and to serve Him. And to worship Him. And as we do so, both here and in our own quiet times and throughout our days, as we know Him more and more, His grace and His peace in us are multiplied. So let's take this trip together. Uh, Let's walk through this book, seeing what the knowledge of Christ is supposed to produce in us. May the Lord bless us as we do so. Let's pray together.